This is the story about... I want to do it too. Okay, one, two. This is Precious Lives. Stories about kids. Teens. Guns. Guns. And how we end the violence. Bye-bye. Because we are precious. This is Precious Lives. I'm Emily Foreman. And I'm Aisha Turner. This is our last Precious Lives episode. And for our final story, we thought we'd return to, well, the beginning of our series. Let the family feel the warmth. Come in. The day after Layla's death, a crowd of neighbors, pastors, reporters, encircled Amanda Legler, a family friend. Layla called her auntie, or Titi for short. Amanda's clutching a poster-sized photo of Layla. Layla left us too soon. We need to find justice for her. Someone knows something, and they need to come forward. Please, if you know anything, you need to speak up for Layla. She's too young. She just turned five. Two years ago, I interviewed Amanda Legler and Ashley Fogel in Amanda's childhood living room. Ashley grew up across the street where her parents still live, where her daughter, five-year-old Layla Peterson, was shot and killed. What drove you to shoot up Layla's house? Like, where did that anger come from? What made you so mad that you had to just go shoot somebody's house up? Are you proud that you took a five-year-old from us? It eats us all alive in the family. Like, we're clueless. I don't think any of us can fully grieve until we know those answers. Homicide detective Kathy Spano worked to help Layla's family find answers to their questions. I go to a homicide scene and I pray. I can't, I can't help that victim anymore, but I can help their families and I can help the community by doing the work that we do. A complicated chain of events led up to Layla's death. A lot of families affected by gun violence are defined by the before and after. Layla's family is just one example. Ashley Fogel and Amanda Legler have been friends since before they can remember. And over the past two years, that bond has intensified. So how are you two doing? The best we know how, I guess, is the best response for that. Yeah, moving at a snail's pace, piecing things together. Milwaukee has come to know Ashley's daughter, Amanda's goddaughter, Layla, as the five-year-old girl who was shot and killed while sitting on her grandfather's lap. I was afraid that we would be afraid to be back at home. Nine-year-old Destiny, Layla's older sister, was in her grandparents' house during the shooting. Destiny still sleeps in the bedroom she shared with Layla there. She still goes to the same bedroom that you know her and her sister shared. Granted that it's you know transformed, they remodeled it for her. She has her own little bed and a trundle, and she looks loves it. It's cool, nice for sleepovers. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, it's still Destiny and Layla's room. Mm-hmm. It's still their room. So many reminders of Layla and her presence are in the house, that they're not willing to leave the house because that's the last piece of Layla now that they get to hold on to. Have you made new memories together as a family in that house? Definitely. There's yeah. a really big one that I love about our family. We do ghost dinners. Um, ghost dinners? Yes, it's a Native American tradition. I don't know if that's the correct title for it, but that's what our family calls it. Ghost dinners or ghost suppers. It's a ceremonial meal to honor the deceased. For Layla, they played drums by the fire, burned a bundle of sage to cleanse the room. You could see where the smoke was going and everything was closed in, but you can see where the smoke was going. Of course, you know, you don't ever think something bad is going to happen to you twice, but it doesn't hurt to, you know, have that that comfort. On November 6, 2014, Detective Rosemarie Galindo gets a call at home. A little girl has been shot. 
Rose is assigned to the case. Many, many hours of manpower were putting put in the beginning to try to develop leads right away. The first 48 hours of an investigation are the most critical. Detectives need to interview witnesses. They need to take pictures and video of the scene, gather casings and bullets. They took the casings immediately from the scene to be put into our NIBIN entry. NIBIN stands for the National Integrated Ballistic Information Network. It's basically a database for bullets. Like, our fingerprints are all different. Casings, when they're fired, each individual gun has its own markings. So those casings can be entered into a system where they can be compared to other casings that have been met, you know, into the system and to see if they're a match of any other homicides or shootings. A few of the casings from Layla's shootings match other shootings. They can also tell two guns were used that night. Investigators tell Ashley and Amanda about the match, that the guns were used in other shootings, Amanda instantly thinks of baby Bill Tao, a 13-month-old that had just been shot and killed. And I remember when my initial reactions was, oh my God, I hope these two weren't connected. Like, but then again, you find out, no, they weren't connected at all. There's just that much reckless violence going on throughout the city. A few weeks into the investigation, Rose realizes they're onto something. At the end of November, the ballistics database finds a key match. One of the guns from Layla's house matches a casing from a shooting over the summer. The case file says Antonio Barbour fired the gun. Antonio Barbour. That name is familiar to Rose. Earlier, she'd looked into all 911 calls made on November 6th, the day Layla was killed. Antonio Barbour came up twice. One call stood out because it looked a lot like the Layla Peterson shooting. That one looked like it was specifically targeted and there was children in the house. It was a very similar situation and it was on the same day. Someone fired a gun into Taiwan Gilchrist's home off of Meineke Avenue. Taiwan Gilchrist and Antonio Barbour are brothers. In another call, a woman reported that her boyfriend's car had been shot up. She thought it might be the result of a feud between her brother, Devante Forbes, and a man named Antonio Barbour. Then we were able to link Devante Forbes to Antonio Barbour. The woman also told police that Devante recently stole a gun from Barbour. He'd shown it to her. It had a green camouflage design. Pretty distinctive. So investigators do what we all do when we want more information about someone. They do a Facebook search. They find recent pictures of Devante Forbes brandishing a green camo gun. So that was our first real break, was Devante Forbes. Police arrest Forbes, not in connection to Layla Peterson, but because he has a felony charge on his record that prevents him from having a gun. By the start of the new year, detectives now know that Antonio Barbour once owned a green camouflage gun. They know Devante Forbes stole that gun from him. And they know that gun was used to shoot up Layla's house. They still need to figure out who fired it. When a child is shot, it gets a lot of attention the family's lives become public. How do you prepare a nine-year-old, an eight-year-old, a four-year-old for this? Destiny and Skaya, Layla and Elena, Amanda's two girls paired up nicely with Ashley's two in age. The four girls had matching pink princess dresses. Just like we're thrown into all of this, all of the different, you know, press conferences and church things and fundraisers and so are they. Amanda says her daughters Google Layla. They wanted to know why, as young as they are. I mean, with Layla's case being so public, they're like, well, how do we know the bad guy's not going to do it again, Mom? And it's like, how do you how do you explain that to your kid? Like, it's hard to be a parent and, and thinking that you can protect your child in your own home. But in reality, they know that's not true because Layla died in her own home. 
By early 2015, detectives question Antonio Barbour and Devante Forbes. They don't get anything out of them. The case is growing cold. Rose just keeps thinking about Layla. I kept Layla's, uh, her funeral obituary. It's still actually um, tacked up on my desk. She keeps having to pivot. It's very hard um, to work on a case as intricate and detailed as this when you're still taking new cases, you know, pretty much almost every day. It was very helpful once um, Kathy and Eric started helping work on the case. I'm Detective Eric Villarreal. I'm uh, a detective with the Milwaukee Police Cold Case Unit. I'm Kathy Spano, detective with the Cold Case Unit at MPD. Cold case investigators come on board at the end of January. They help Rose to sort through all the loose ends. It was very messy in the beginning to try to separate all of this. Although we had this lead with the guns between Antonio Barbour and Devante Forbes, we all know how quickly guns get passed around. They get sold, they get tossed, they get given to whoever, you know, will give them $100 for it. With guns moving around so quickly, they're wondering if they're on the right track. Then, they find out the second gun is linked to a shooting from October 2014. A man named Carl Barrett was identified as the shooter. Barrett's name came up during an early part of the investigation as an associate of Devante Forbes. Detectives now have another name for their list. January 2015, February 2015, March 2015. Layla's family still doesn't have a clue who did it or why. The investigation keeps up in the spring. Detectives know the house was targeted. Witness statements and bullet patterns prove that. Eric tried to figure out why. I think Eric went to every house in a probably a two-block radius and investigated as much as he could every house. What problems were at this house? Were the police called at this house? What arrests were made at this house? Was there drug dealing at this house? Who's, who's in trouble here at any of these houses? That took a lot of time. Still no answers. I keep thinking about Devante Forbes, the man who stole the green camo gun. In May, Kathy recognizes a name in police custody, Antoine Buchanan. He's been brought in on a domestic violence charge. Kathy talked to him once before. Actually, Antoine Buchanan was, I liked him right away. The minute I, I interviewed him, I believed him. And that doesn't always happen. You usually interview somebody, you know right away that they're yanking your chain, or you, or you know that the information you give, they're giving you it just isn't going to be enough. Antoine Buchanan is a father figure to Devante Forbes. Buchanan told police that Forbes had come to him. Crying, being upset because he thinks that his gun may have killed this little girl. It was good information, but didn't lead to anything substantial. Plus, she'd started to doubt him. Buchanan also told her that Devante Forbes was involved in shooting up another house the day Layla was killed. Remember the house with the kids inside, the one that resembled Layla's off of Meineke? He actually didn't, he kind of left out something that he should have told me. He left out the part that he drove Devante Forbes that night. I said, hey, Antoine, how am I supposed to believe you now when you left this part out? This is really important. I can't believe you now. You know, look what you did. He says, well, look, I'll wear a wire. I can get him to talk. Devante Forbes has been at the Milwaukee House of Correction since police caught him with a firearm in January. Antoine Buchanan wears a wire in the jail. Only a handful of people know. The less people that know about it, the less it's going to get disclosed. It's just, that's just it. Wires can be a pain. The detectives need to figure out a way to change the batteries without raising suspicions. You can't just say, hey, you have a professional visit. You know, you, they're going to know something's up. You, you gotta, it's time to get your medicine. It's time to, you know, you got your checkup. You got to change things up. You got to make it look normal. And, and that's what we did. It all came together very well. 
The tapes arrive July 4th weekend. On July 4th, Amanda visits Layla. I remember going to the graveyard with sparklers. It's a violent stretch for Milwaukee. More kids die. 14-year-old Tariq Akbar is shot and killed at the lakefront fireworks display. And several days later, 13-year-old Giovanni Cameron is shot and killed in his home. Meanwhile, Kathy begins combing through all the wiretapes. There's 24-7. It's They're being recorded the whole time. So if the informant goes to the bathroom, the informant goes to the bathroom. There's so much background noise. In the the mess hall and they're eating and you hear all the clinking and the, not not only, that was a huge problem, was being able to kind of sift through all of that noise, but the language, the terminology, the ebonics, and who is talking, and you have to hear it over and over again repeatedly in order to be able to say that this is what they meant. And then they find it. In those recordings, we got the motive. We first heard about Arliss Gordon, that his brother was shot and killed. Arliss Gordon's brother was murdered. Detectives finally have the key to solving their case. On October 20th, Police Chief Edward Flynn calls a press conference at Police District 7 off of Fond du Lac Avenue. But they never gave up. They followed the witnesses. They followed the informants. Investigators meet with Ashley and her parents in their living room to prep them for the announcement. Amanda is at work. I got the phone call from either you or your mom, and it was, get down here at 4 o'clock, we're doing a press conference. And I literally had, like, a 40-minute window to get down there. Well, information that we've received has resulted in the arrests of three individuals in the death of Layla Peterson. Paul Farr has been charged with two counts of harboring and aiding a felon. Carl Barrett and Arliss Gordon are each charged with first-degree reckless homicide. These individuals were motivated by a tragic but also absurd chain of events. It all started seven and a half months before Layla Peterson was killed. Arliss Gordon's brother was shot to death during a robbery. On November 6, 2014, the man charged in connection to that case was acquitted. Arliss Gordon wanted revenge. He met up with Devante Forbes, Carl Barrett, and Paul Farr. Devante Forbes gave Arliss Gordon a green camouflage gun. Paul Farr drove the men to what they believed to be the home of the acquitted man's girlfriend. They went to the wrong house. Four blocks from their intended target, two of these individuals, Barrett and Gordon, got out with their firearms and fired numerous shots into the house. resulting in the death of the little girl. Now, Police Chief Flynn pulls a button with Layla's photo on it out of his breast pocket. I've been carrying something around with me for a year, and it's Layla. And I'd like to think we could put her to rest now. So we were all expecting something to happen right away, like, okay, this is it. Like, we're finally getting our break. We're finally getting our answers. And then we went to court, I believe, in December. Ashley and Amanda both take off work to attend pretrial hearings. You don't want to miss a court date because you don't know how else you're going to be informed. If you're not there to hear it yourself, you want to hear it yourself. But at the same time, I felt like we wasted so many hours down there. I know the courthouse by the back of my hand now. Yeah. (laughs) 
finally, the trial is scheduled for September of 2016, almost a year after the press conference at Police District 7, almost two years after Layla was murdered. Maybe in the past few years, when you think about some kind of significant memories of your two families spending time together, what comes to mind? I think the biggest thing we did is we went to Disney together. God. <laughs> they go to Disney World while they're waiting for the trial to start. It was really good to do something together because I think that was our first moment to relax from all the chaos that we've been introduced to since losing Layla. They come back from vacation. Then one day, Amanda and her youngest daughter are watching a slideshow Amanda had made early on of their favorite Layla photos. She looked at me, we were in my bed, and she looked at me and she's like, see, mommy? See? And I'm like, what? She's like, no tears this time, mommy, no tears. And I think that broke me right there. And she's like, I'm not going to cry anymore. I'm not going to be sad about Layla anymore. And I think that took a good year and a half before we got to that point. September 2016 rolls around. Ashley's daughter, Destiny, starts the fourth grade. Time for school pictures. Ashley hangs Destiny's new portrait on the wall next to Layla's last school photo. She goes, Mom, <clears throat> I wonder what um, Layla would end up looking like, you know, this school year's photo. And But, yeah, it's like it's it's good positive things that she processes through, that she does talk about it. Mm -hmm. She's a really great kid. Like, she has her little moods. <laughs> she is a typical almost preteen. But, man, like, that kid is resilient. Late September, Carl Barrett goes on trial. He's one of the shooters. Throughout his trial, Carl Barrett is described as a man without remorse. He's the strong man, the guy people call when they need backup on a shooting. It's so reckless. It's just so, I, I, I think there's a lack of teaching empathy for others. There's a lack of, well, how would you feel if this happened to someone in your family? I think that's something that's missing out of a lot of family structure. It, I think that the challenge always in this job is you really have to keep a good perspective and not become hardened and cold and judgmental. You have to really be strong and know that we really deal with a very small percentage of the people population. of the population in this city. Paul Farr, the driver, pleads guilty to aiding and harboring a felon. He gets reduced jail time in exchange for testifying against Barrett. Devante Forbes also testifies. He provided one of the guns. He's the one caught on the wire. Because he later cooperates, he's never charged in connection to Layla's case. Arliss Gordon, the guy that lost a brother, the guy that started this whole thing, he pleads guilty to second-degree reckless homicide. You're, you're in disbelief the entire time. You don't know who to believe, and you don't actually take it in until you actually have to sit there and you relive it all, step for step. All the pictures, all the testimonies, all the confessions, and it just it bombards you all at once. And I know she lost it. I lost it. Almost everyone is related. The defendants, the witnesses, other shooting victims. The detectives have to draw out a social map to keep track of it all. For example, Carl Barrett and Paul Farr's parents used to date. Paul Farr and Devante Forbes are cousins. Arliss Gordon and Paul Farr went to middle school together. They played ball together. So they were, you know, good buddies. And that made it extremely difficult because no one wanted to talk on each other. They've got that loyalty to each other. I guess that's, I guess that's understandable. 
um, not to yeah. go to jail. Yeah. I mean, right. they, they just don't want to go to jail, and I don't blame them, but... You know, that's part of the frustration, I think, that we deal with, is not getting the cooperation from people that need to just do the right thing. On September 29, 2016, a jury finds Carl Barrett guilty of first-degree reckless homicide. Barrett maintains his innocence at his sentencing. I know you might think that I'm guilty because of the verdict, and I don't agree with it, but at the end of the day, I'm guilty, and I'm, and I'm sorry for the loss. That's all. Thank you, sir. He gets 65 years. Anything else? No judge. December 8th, 2016, Amanda and Ashley make their last trip to court for Arliss Gordon's sentencing hearing. Okay, and the defendant's here for sentencing on count one, a second-degree reckless homicide as a party to a crime, use of a dangerous weapon. The bullet that struck Layla had been traced to the gun that Gordon fired. Today, he gets his sentence. This guy let his anger and his hurt and his rage lead up to taking Layla's life. Amanda makes a statement, followed by Layla's father. Then Arliss Gordon addresses the court. You know, first and foremost, I would like to give my condolences to the family and the friends of Layla Peterson, not only because of the tragic incident, but because I too know the feeling of losing a loved one close to me. So it's like, you know our pain. You don't know our exact pain, but you know the pain of losing someone, and yet you put that onto another family. And care. I think that's the question that we will always have, why? He gets 30 years. His family members filter out of the courtroom. Layla's family stays seated. None of us feel safe. We'll, we'll, we'll get everybody out safely. They don't feel safe. They wait for officers to escort them to their cars after Gordon's family leaves. Because last time a case concerning Arliss Gordon closed, when no one was convicted in his brother's murder, there was a gunfight in the parking lot. Now Ashley and Amanda have answers to the questions they posed two years ago. They know who did it and why. Are these really the answers we were looking for? The answers only led to more questions. Why is this city using guns thinking triggers are stress balls? There's always going to be an extra why. Like, even though you can tell me the answer of why, there's still another but why. I think no matter what answers or responses we get, it's not going to be good enough. Layla is still gone. Now that the series is over, what have we learned? We've learned that the men in the car, Paul Farr, Devante Forbes, Carl Barrett, Arliss Gordon, the detectives, Rose, Kathy, Eric, Layla's family, Ashley, Amanda, Destiny, Skaya, Elena, they're forever connected. But sometimes the connection isn't so obvious. For example, the pastor who comforted Layla's family was also there for Zalea Jenkins's family. The woman that helped prepare Zalea's funeral also helped bury Jahara Kennedy and Ricky Washington. Once you start to see the connections, you realize that you're a part of it. Precious Lives is Milwaukee's story. It's our story. Precious Lives is produced by 371 Productions in association with WUWM, WNOV, the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, and the Wisconsin Center for Investigative Journalism. We're supported by the Isabel and Alfred Bader Fund and the Greater Milwaukee Foundation. Music by Kiran V. 